Welcome to the Palm Court Podcast. We are back. Hopefully folks are enjoying what they're hearing. We have two folks returning to today's episode. We have Megan Citron coming back. Megan, how are you doing? Good. I'm happy to be here. I'm in Madrid for a few more days before I head back to the U.S. So Nice. Yeah, that, we should have like a, well, if this were a video podcast, we could have a stick pin and a bulletin board signaling where in the world Megan is, but she's in Madrid for those of you scoring at home. And uh, Gwen, welcome back. This is your return engagement. Thank you for coming back. Thanks so much, Mike. I'm glad to be back. And you are also helping to book talent, apparently, because we have Brian Cody making his inaugural appearance on the Popcorn Podcast. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you. It's just like listening to it. You know, this is amazing. I love it. Yeah, it's like listening to it, except you have to talk more. Yeah, true. Well, although I don't know. I mean, some people are probably talking out loud, you know, to their podcasts out there in the world today. But Gwen, I know you brought Brian into the show. Brian, someone, you know, I've seen you on the Damon. And I've heard about a lot of the stuff you're doing today as someone who's active now. But then, you know, Gwen, as you were talking about Brian, you were kind of describing some of his role when he was actually a student. Maybe you can bring Brian in a little, just talk about how you two were connected. And then Brian, we'd love to hear a little more about your story. Sure thing. So last episode, my friend Krista mentioned when she had toured campus that there was a meeting of all the Florida University Student Association college presidents and that Brian had made a big impression on her that day. And I was excited and impressed that Brian served as the NCSA president twice at New College. We first met in a class that was taught by another alum, Glenn Whitehouse. We both took an American religious history class together Wow! on a small project with a third student, Carly Summers, and we did a presentation about American cults. <laughs> wow. So just a couple of quick notes there, too. Glenn was at New College when Megan and I were there. He's good friends with Grant Balfour, who's not on today's show, but has been a force behind a lot of what we're doing. So that's one note. And then the second note is, I believe Krista mentioned that you were wearing a suit, Brian, and you were not wearing shoes. So you were barefoot in a suit. That's a nice note. I would also say uh, barefoot in a suit could be my new college autobiographical title. I felt like that was, you know, two worlds I was in. This was drawn to the sort of extreme sort of, I think, educational slash hippie experience. And then also very involved with the school as an institution. I can talk more about that. But for Gwen, I started a year before you, Gwen, right? You started 2003. I started 2002. And I came to New College from Live Oak, Florida, which is a small sort of culturally, I think of it as a Southern Georgia town. That's how I describe it to people who don't know Florida and think Florida's Miami. There's wide variety. I had a great group of really smart friends in my high school and when I went to college, I was really looking to be challenged and to have what I thought of then as, you know, a life of the mind experience. And I was applying to all sorts of different schools. I had a scholarship in Florida. And so I was looking around Florida, I'd heard about new college, but actually wasn't, you know, there weren't good websites back then. And so it was in books and I saw it was a good value, but I was very drawn to national brands. But Florida had a program at that point where you could get a day off of school excused if you visited a Florida college campus. Mm. So I went to all 11 with a friend of mine. 
What I remember is when I visited a new college that I was interested in, but my tour guide was Audrey Trout, who is a name some people who are listeners will know. And there was this point where I went to the Four Winds to get lunch and I was sitting there and there were students in there. And this is probably the sixth Florida university I've visited. The students at the Four Winds were sitting around talking about their classes. I, I don't know what to say other than it felt very different to me. It felt like when I said that idea of the life of the mind, mm. it really felt like that to me. And I turned to my friend and I said, I'm going here. Mm. And before, I mean, I knew I got in before about anything else. I was very excited about it. And so I came from there and was instantly sort of, I think of it as a big consumer of the school as an institution. I was very drawn to doing everything and wanting to meet everyone. I mean, I feel like everyone I met, I wanted to be their friend. And I wanted to, I was just so impressed. I felt like there were so many smart people doing smart, creative things. Yeah. I really did spend four years feeling like I was one of the luckiest people ever. It was, I, I was, had such a positive experience at the school educationally mm-hmm. and socially and still have some very, very, very good friends I see all the time from yeah. New And it's small enough as a, community that you actually can get to know if not everybody you feel like you know a good chunk of the student body i'm curious brian which year it was that you taught the class with penny or sort of with penny as the faculty sponsor my first class at new college was with penny roselle and i didn't really know what sociology was but i was again very quickly like this is great at that point i thought oh whenever i'm somewhere i feel like i'm on edge my radar is always going off about what's going on and what are the rules. And it turned out you can study that. And, it, yeah. and I was like, okay, I'm in. And she was retiring my third year. Mm. And so I was student body president at that time. I was my sort of halfway through my second year through halfway through my fourth year. So those two years. And she was retiring and she said, well, if you want me to be your thesis sponsor, you need, you have to do it this year. I'm not coming back after that. So I said, okay. And so I was my third year, yeah, I was student body president and I did my thesis. It was on the, I'm trying to remember if I can remember the title, but it's something like the social character of the Roman Catholic mass. Someone can check the library, but I think that's pretty close. And it was a lot of participant observation at various Catholic masses. I grew up Catholic and then studied religion is went through that. So it was combining those two, but I had a very positive relationship with Penny. We did a lot of courses together. I did tutorials. Now, after she retired, I think people know Penny. She had a sort of wonderfully quirky sort of mother hen demeanor. Mm-hmm. And so she wanted to keep supporting me after she retired. And she said, oh, I'm emeritus. I can teach whatever I want. And she helped me connect with Shar Callahan, who, if I remember correctly, was provost at that point, but was teaching. Cool. Shar was my advisor. So yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. I sat on committees with Shar. But then Penny, I think when I could tell, Penny basically said, you should let Brian be a TA in your class on experiential learning. And so I did that. Mm. And then Penny and I spent the summer after my third year, before my fourth. So I was done with my thesis. Spent the summer where every week we would meet up. She would go swimming at like 6 a.m. the fitness center. Mm. And so meet up at like 645. There's no one else on campus awake. Yeah. And we would, we had reading assignments. We read books throughout the summer. And then in the fall semester of, my fourth year, we put together a syllabus because we continued that every week for a class that was called Sociological Imagination, hmm. being the 
book by that title and then a series of ethnographies after that. And so she set it up where it was both of our names were on the course and she pushed me to sort of teach most of it. And mm -hmm. that was an amazing experience. It also was for her a way to say, you had to thesis your third year. So here's sort of a new challenge. Interesting. Which for me also matches what my experience at New College was. And I've heard other people say versions of this. So I don't think mine will be the most eloquent, but you know, the lack of grades, the narrative evaluations at New College meant you're getting feedback on yourself and on your educational journey, not just relative to, to some, I don't know, some objective, you know, quote unquote idea of performance. It was Oh, I remember my, one of my first classes with Justice Donaghy. I wrote this paper and I was so amazed. And he basically said, oh, it's a bad paper. It's good for a first year. <laughs> and, and all these things I could improve. And that was my first experience not getting an A, right? Mm -hmm. and, sort of, and throughout New College, the idea of that, that's good for where you're at or not good for where you're at. For a first year, that would have been an excellent paper. For a third year, you really need to be pushing yourself. Mm -hmm. And so teaching to me felt like a continuation of that. It was, okay, you've done this research. Can you teach? And it was incredibly difficult. I mean, realizing, I think maybe you went through that transition where reading a book to give comments is one thing. Reading a book to answer questions is much harder. Mm -hmm. And and I got to have that transition in at New College. So then when I went to grad school, I went straight from New College to University of Chicago to do doctoral work in sociology, which I did not finish. I pivoted to tech. But when I went there, I had teaching experience, which was great. I got to teach at UChicago. And part of that was them saying, oh, you've already taught, which sort of there was an asterisk. No one looked too closely. <laughs> and I constantly felt grateful about my education in New College and that ability to teach, the ability to have tutorials. I did so many tutorials. One of the, man, sorry, I'm just remembering. One of the hardest ones was I did one with Professor Portugal on sustainable development. And we did it all in Spanish. My Spanish was not very good. And it was the hardest class I ever took. And I put it on myself. And I also think about that, how people do that at New College. You create challenges, right? You don't just look at the course book. You say, well, what am I interested in? And the thing about if you're interested in something is you take on too much, mm. right? That's some of the magic of that is that you get excited students and they'll push themselves just because they're excited. I had that experience and was often stressed, but very much appreciated that. There's a lot there, man. I would say you were a high achiever where for me, I took advantage of some of the slack in the system at times. I had good academic performance, good evaluations throughout, but I was also just kind of exploring like what was happening. And I don't think I was necessarily clearly at the helm of the ship. I was kind of figuring it out as I was going along. It's cool, I think, in that there is that range. It sounds like you had an academic maturity that I probably didn't have when I came to new college to really kind of chart a path. I'd be curious, Megan, what your experience was. Because one thing that was interesting when we were talking to Krista Matrone was how as someone who was planning to be a pre-med and really kind of had a career trajectory, she had a lot of stuff mapped out. Krista was even talking about the more serendipitous side of her journey. Any reflections on your experience after hearing some of what Brian put out there? With the tutorials and, and that side of things, I felt very much the close relationship with a professor could completely change your trajectory because I was studying political science and that's really what I was going to do. And, and then I took French and, and languages on the side and I spent a semester away in France and came back and started taking classes with our French professor that we had at the 
time whose name was Jeff Hickson. And unfortunately, the school did not hold on to him, which I think was terrible. They should have. <laughs> I still have a beef with, with that. But he kind of took a lot of us under his wing. And he was just such an incredible mentor and teacher. And, and you were talking about the evaluations and the writing. He was probably the teacher I had who did the most critiquing of my writing. He was just brutal. He was so good. <laughs> and I learned so much from him. But he got me interested in things I had, you know, French film and you know, French, you know, symbolist literature and things I had no intention of studying at all. And then all of a sudden I had to be in all of his tutorials. I kind of stalked him until he would invite me in. And then, you know, that's how I ended up getting together with my partner, Christian, because we were in a French film tutorial with Jeff Hickson, where we watched all these French New Wave films that to us at that age seemed ridiculously middle-aged and we all were disgruntled and complaining about them. And that's kind of how we all, that little core group of people became friends, really tight friends. But yeah, I think, you know, the serendipity and also just the really high expectations of some of our professors in terms of what these tutorials could be, you know, when so deep, you know, mm. like you're saying, you just took on writing in Spanish when you really weren't even capable of it. But sure, let's try. Why not? You know? Yeah. Well, it also felt pretty intimate and collegial was the other piece that I thought was really amazing from the faculty side is that they kind of came at you as a peer. And I mean that in a pretty authentic way, like it really did not feel like they were faking the funk. And, and that is sort of the mission of the school when it is so much about, you know, being student driven, student led, student centered, you know, they're helping you discover your path and not really setting you on one. And Gwen, I know this is something you were talking about related to the current situation, just that it does feel like there's almost the opposite of that happening, where there's a lot of talking down and, you know, treating these students like children. Any thoughts from you on, on what we're kicking around here? Yeah, absolutely. On the positive side and in contrast to what's going on. David Schatz was a contract sponsor of mine. And after I had taken all of his Russian literature classes and they started to cycle back around and I couldn't bear to have a semester without a class of his, I ended up taking Russian language classes for a year and a half because I just wanted to keep working with David Schatz. And I had a great conversation with him my fourth year when I was really ill with a chronic illness that you know, kind of reared its ugly head my fourth year for the first time in college. And he said, it's, you know, it's delusional to think that you can go four years in the life of a human without a big setback like this. And so take the time you need and things come up. And I did, as Brian was talking about, push my, you know, keep pushing myself, you know, to finish. And one of the reasons for that, that was personal was I had, my younger sister was also at new college and I dreaded the idea that she would catch up to me in some way. So <laughs> her old habits to die hard, even in a very open and accepting academic setting, I just felt like I needed to finish so that yeah. my sister wouldn't catch up. Right. Like you gave me a compliment there, but I, I think I came in with an insecurity. I was coming from a small town high school and like Gwen's an example of someone I met where Gwen, you went to a private school, correct? Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't even know anyone who went to a private school. And it was in California, if I remember correctly. And Gwen seemed very well prepared because you were first year, I was a second year in that mm -hmm. class. I remember being like, oh no, this person knows so much more than I do. And I, I thought, you know, I'm a second year. And I found that experience a lot at New College where I felt like people were 
better prepared. Like I remember I was a senior in high school and I learned about the existence of IB. I didn't know what that was. My school didn't have that. And suddenly I became, I was, you know, it's a stratified educational system. I didn't even know existed, let alone that I was at the bottom. Mm. And so I felt very, again, I think it's the right word is insecure. And I sort of wanted to prove myself educationally. Mm. And then one other piece was when I got involved in student government, specifically some of the other schools, and this connects back to Chris's story about, she mentioned that was the Florida Student Association. So it was all the two body presidents visiting. And what I remember is learning that, for example, and this is 20 plus years ago, but at that point, like this Florida State University, their student body president got college credit because the, the assumption was, oh, you're going to do this and this is going to come at the expense of your education. Mm. And I also then at that point felt like I felt that at New College, to be taken seriously by the students, you needed to be a student, if that makes sense. And okay. I felt I was supposed to represent students and student government. Mm-hmm. And that it was important that I be doing well academically because otherwise that almost was like, an, you know, this question mark of, okay, you're bringing this feedback about, you know, I got, for example, I sat on committees choosing the provost. Right. I sat on committees for the vice president of student affairs. We voted on curriculum. I was involved in this. And I took it all you know, sort of at a level of seriousness that I think is appropriate, but also was very intense for a 20 year old. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking I need to also be doing well academically or it becomes what, you know, he almost gave, might give someone a reason to say, well, you need to back off of this or that I was in committees with people who, whose classes I was taking. And I felt like in the meeting for them to fully hear me, there need not to be this concern of, well, have you finished that paper that you're mm-hmm. behind on? Or are you yeah. the student government stuff? And so mm-hmm. that was another sort of driver for me to feel like I needed to take advantage or I needed to take the academics extremely seriously, which yeah. I'm happy about, but at the time definitely felt like a burden. It's interesting context around drive, you know, because I think from the outside, it always looks like, it's coming from a position of strength and, and it is certainly a, a positive attribute, but it is interesting that frequently it is in response to other emotional states, other pushes and, and pulls. You know, I remember just from the, the collegial side of my experience at New College was playing on the Bones softball team founded by Rick Coe, the economics professor, Doug Langston who is getting another shout out. We should start keeping stats. So like Doug's getting another shot. Doug played David Brain, Gordon Bauer, John Newman, you know, and a bunch of alums too, which was fun when you were a student. So like you did feel like you were part of like a bigger collective. And I did feel like the faculty did a really nice job of, of kind of building those bridges, building those connections. Brian, the other element you were touching on there too in your story is being student body president and, you know, like talking to every student on campus. You must have really had a a sense of the zeitgeist down there. And it was an interesting time. Are there particular milestones? And, you know, you and Gwen might want to play oral historians for us (laughs) here, but anything jumped to mind in terms of like, we were talking about flashbulb events, any Big things happening in the world around us while you were down there, things that were happening through student government at the time. Let's see. There was the Bush Kerry election was one. One of the previous episodes, they spoke about 9-11 happening while students mm-hmm. were on campus. And so I entered fall 2002. So it was 
after that, but the sort of war on terror picking up. And so yes. there were protests. And I'm sure what it was. I, I want to say it was weekly at the overpass, but it could be wrong. I remember yeah. there was a banner people made on the overpass that immediately got pulled down because it broke a law about, you know, distracting traffic. But that, mm. that was something I remember during that time period. You know, we were just independent for about a year. And so part of my experience was the continued sort of divorce proceedings with USF. And so mm. there was Joint Allocation Committee, which met sort of yearly between people from USF, people from New College. And it was about funding and it was awkward and not fun. And so there, there was that. I remember Pope died. Papal election party, J- not JP2. everything about Catholicism. Gwen, I think Doug Langston was there, right? Because this was, I don't know, it was spring 2005. So March or April, something like that. And I, I was about to defend my thesis on the Roman Catholic Mass. And the Pope died. And so we ended up putting together this event, which was the papal election party. And we basically had in Palm Court, some professors spoke and I spoke. What is the election process going to look like? You know, the white smoke. And then... We also had all the cardinals and we had a betting pool. So you could say, who do you think will get elected? And you could also nice. write one, right? Because I think the rule at that point was, was it any baptized male? I think was the, maybe the rule then, or like that was the official thing. I was 21, so I had a drink. Was your drink sacramental in any way or was it <laughs> just a beer? I, I mean, it eventually got there. Yeah. You know? What does one drink at a papal election party? That's, that's an interesting question. Oh, man. I'm, see, the thing is, I'm sure there were some very funny choices for that. Was there a lot of hats? I would imagine. Well, I say hats, and I'm sure there was lots of wine that people argued with the cops was actually water, right? But th- that was an event. But then, I mean, one well, of the big events at New College that I remember was, so it was the first time we did a master plan. And so that was, when was that also 2005? It so, was. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that was, you know, David Breen was sort of leading on that, but... Mm. I and mean, for me, it was this interesting role because there was this one point where, so we were hiring a firm to do the master plan. And David Breen, especially, was an advocate of a more boutique experienced firm. Mole and Polyzoides was the and name. And I feel like Stefanos had some things in common yeah. in history with Jose Portugal, who you mentioned, just so well-spoken and so charismatic and sort of gripping that the charrettes and the entire master oh, plan right. process drew in so many of us who were even separate from the sociology realm and sort of the expected areas of study. Are, are those names of boutique firms or those are per faculty? I was there was an interesting array of they sounded well branded. So I thought they were like digital agencies, but I wasn't sure. Mool and Polyzoides was the firm that the school ended up hiring. So then Stephanos Polyzoides was on campus, ah. the charrette process and sort of overseeing the meetings of stakeholders to create the document ultimately. And it was a really beautiful process. And, you know, once the charrettes we learned in that process, there's this point where the campus was doing the charrette process, but in the background before that, we were trying to hire a firm. And that was a little bit political because of course people were saying, why can't you hire a good Florida firm? And like, well, let's get someone with more experience. So I was on that hiring committee Mm -hmm. on the board of trustees, which had to approve it. And then I was in a class with David Brain. So that was a very inclusive process of the community. I mean, when I say community, including, I mean, there were so many pieces involving the neighbors, involving mm-hmm. people in the city, the idea of thinking about the campus, you know, sort of critically and its role, its mission. Mm-hmm. It was really, really, you know, beautiful. And just for me, it was also this, again, rich experience in that I could be a participant 
I was in a tutorial about master plan processes. And so just sort of all these levels, and I just say this because part of my experience, I feel like a new college was realizing that through student government and the work at the working on the stuff with the legislature, policy, sitting on, like I said, steering committees for the vice president of student affairs and, and involving students and making sure students had a voice there. I feel like I was sort of doing this three-year tutorial about how New College works as an institution. Mm-hmm. That has been, I don't know if you ever do a deep dive on the story of the day and you become an expert on something. And then of course it goes away and it's just lost knowledge. Yeah. This year, 2023 has felt like that for me in that I spent three years learning about how the school works. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was involved with reviewing. I mean, we got our first accreditation in 2000. It was probably right. 2004. We were going independent at the time. Mm-hmm. We're going independent. And so there are all these institutional pieces that were sort of coming together that I was around, involved in the master plan, accreditation. That we had our first independent faculty handbook. I sat yeah. on the fa- did in the faculty senate. Which of those and you were like 20... 20- 21 at the time, right? Yeah. Right. But it's this knowledge that I left New College. I, I worked with the foundation board for a year and then I was like, I don't want to be a hanger on. And so I really pulled back. I had my friends, but I didn't stay involved with the school at all. And, you know, watching the board trustees meetings, including the January meeting where President Oker was fired, hmm. was extremely surreal because we had our meetings. They were in the same room, the same table set up. I mean, even so 2002 is the year that Jeff Thomas, who's in charge of facilities, started. So the same person setting up the tables and the mm-hmm. same person who was there 20 years ago, mm-hmm. David Smolker, who was general counsel on that day, was there when I was there. There were all these people who I knew I sat on committees with the provost. I mean, just it was very surreal to watch this. And then, you know, to Megan's point, 20 years ago, th- there was an important also political consideration thinking about the school, you know, how do you position and protect it? And so former Florida state legislature and Senator Bob Johnson was on the board of trustees, General Roland Heiser, who had helped mm-hmm. bring the foundation around, but he sat on the board of trustees. John Creener was in charge of the foundation. These are people who, you know, were connected with the community, connected with the legislature. And that was a, an active conversation the whole time I was there. And I remember Mike Michelson, the president at that point, also professor of philosophy, Gwen's baccalaureate was at his house. He did also play for the Bones. He played for the... <laughs> with Doug Langston. Doug yes. Langston, shout out. Yeah. But him talking about that it was important as a public institution to have, you know, this community, re- these relationships in the community of Sarasota and the state of Florida and the legislature, mm-hmm. because we were doing something different. You know, we didn't have grades. It was always hard to explain it. And so... Everything that's happened this year, I keep thinking about that. I remember being 19, having this conversation and realizing that new college as an institution was brittle. That not only was it new, which of course I didn't experience, I came in and it was already independent. But after being there, you realize how fresh it felt to people who were there. But just realizing people are talking about this and sort of saying, this is an experiment. It's been an experiment since it started, but it being its own schools, an experiment. How do you get accredited without grades? How do you deal with bright future scholarships when you can't explain credit hours? And mm-hmm. Shark Callahan was one of the people who had to figure out ways to sort of translate or fudge, you know, our system into all the requirements. Right. And even watching that process was so educational for me. The idea of master these rules to be able to do something different within them. And that was like a life lesson for me. Mm. Master the rules so you can learn to do what you want to within it. Yeah. And and 
interestingly, I think part of what happened this year is that, you know, without going too far into it, I really do think the vacancies on the board were, you know, people in politics learn the rules really well and realize they had an opportunity. Hard to see and talk about and realize it's the same learning. It's, it was a smart move. Part of the story is a story of neglect. If you look at mold on campus and vacant seats on the board, it wasn't a particularly defensible position that Pat Oker and her culture, which she was really seemed to be leading a turnaround, but there was just this vulnerability above her. And then the tacticians on the other side were able to exploit it. The thing that's really interesting to me around what you were just describing, Brian, is that the dynamics of that board, there were like august elders who were deeply connected to the history, deeply aligned around the mission of the school and how much that has really gone away. Those vacancies, in some ways, we were missing bodies who should be filling those seats. I don't know how you understand this. You, I'm sure you have much more depth in terms of your perspective, but it does just feel like when you're not mission aligned with your board of trustees, maybe just to, to keep us out of the dark place, can you describe what the dynamics were like back in the day and maybe how you know that contrast maybe will help us understand a little better some of the history? Yes, the contrast might, you know, be obvious, but some of the same people, which is fascinating, but, you know, the board meetings were, first off, it was all paper. So you had a huge binder you would get. And the idea was you have to read through this. And that was, I don't know if you remember, but our common room, there used to be just these huge stacks of papers. Because again, I sort of took it very seriously. I was like, I'm going to read all this. And if I was going back, I'd be like, some of this you don't need to read. This is not that important. But I would read all these binders, but so these huge binders and there's the agenda. And what I remember was, you know, there were always things that had to be approved, et cetera, but there was always a significant amount of discussion. And I would say the most common was Mike Michelson would give an update and sort of say, here's where we need to go. And then different people would go around and ask questions and sort of say, how are we thinking about this? What are we going to do with this next year? Again, Bob Johnson, he wore this huge gold ring and he would sort of tap it on the table when he was getting bored. He'd say, look, and he'd then say what we needed to do with the legislature. And they would, usually suggest agenda items for the next meeting and say, we need to talk about X, Y, and Z. And one of the things I'll note that I learned, and I now respect a lot, I've worked with nonprofits a little bit professionally since then, is identifying items for the committees. So the idea is saying, look, you know, for an institution to run, there needs to be lots of people reviewing things and helping evaluate ideas and helping support the administration. So the idea is boards are meant to give oversight. And, you know, the most friendly version of that is, you know, let's just gut check what you're doing, right? Yeah. Let, let's give you some outside eyes. And I think that that often happened at the committee level. And so there was a lot of very active committee work. And then people would have, you know, we would invite students, we would try to invite faculty, but very few people came. That's probably the most obvious difference is there would be six or seven people there, maybe. Yeah. Almost all the meetings. Rarely did a reporter show either. It was a little more wonky, I imagine, and less theatrical, probably. Yes. People can say there's also downsides to some of that, meaning there can be a sense that if everyone trusts each other, are you keeping, Yeah, is that a form of blinders? And again, I will say personalities matter. Like Roland Heiser, General Heiser had been involved with the foundation school for a very long time, but he was someone who always felt very comfortable questioning things. And so there was a sense of collegiality, but also pushing. 
I will say I have no idea what Tristy meetings were like from 2007 through 2023. So I have no, yeah. no sense of comparison. I really, right, right. Know, most alums, that was not a particularly sexy, <laughs> like Thursday night viewing for me mm-hmm. versus now. Right. I always got the impression that Heiser was a protector on some level in the local community and that when he left, when he was gone, that we lost something that was kind of (laughs) over us, keeping a layer of protection. Yes, every university is embedded in a community, right? A geographic community, which is important. But especially public education has also become a state and national issue. Mm -hmm. I can imagine it's a challenge to find people who want to support a college both locally and at the state level and really at the national level. When I think about that, I think that 20 years ago, there was always this risk of new college being politicized. I remember that was actually talked about in meetings of that, yeah. you know, I remember some of the more risque clubs where the idea was, okay, we probably don't want that being touted at Tallahassee because there's a lot of people who might not approve of state dollars being there. But one, I think it was easier to keep things local because even, I mean, we didn't have Facebook till 2003 or four. And I say that, I mean, most people didn't have digital cameras, right? So just- Right, this is a pre-iPhone either, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, iPhone, right, definitely. And so the idea that what's happening on campus sort of also felt like more at state on campus. Mm. And so the public face of the college could be the known face. And so Mm. I also think there were people in the community who knew a new college on the ground but could also easily present the most acceptable version of of new college externally. And that was very successful. And I I just sort of assumed that as it became much easier to, I think, highlight things people don't like, and even as politics have gone that way, it gets much harder to find advocates locally who, again, who also sort of align at a state and national level. And so um, that's all to Megan's point about, I think there are people who really supported the college locally and knew it and were really proud of it, but also didn't feel a risk that their support of this college might not align with you know, relationships outside of that in a way that I think is probably more true today. Yeah. Eric Schickler, also an alum, is doing really interesting work on higher ed and how polarized it's become. Using New College as an example, he was talking about that, where you know there was a period of time where you could be elected as a congressman or representative by saying, I know this college is good for the local community and therefore I will go to bat, this kind of Bob Johnson, you know, go to bat for it. And that independent spirit and that understanding within the community of the value would allow you to continue to be elected. And over the last 15 years or so, it's moved increasingly to become more about national politics and, you know, kind of litmus tests on, you know, who you're going to bat against. And that's really very much why New College has wound up in the crosshairs. Other thoughts? What else do we want to talk about, Brian? What have you been up to since? How about career paths? You know, ways in which New College maybe influenced your trajectory? You've got a handful of years on you now since you left Sarasota. It has been funny reconnecting with so many alums. I'm almost 40 and there's also just a sense you meet someone who's even one year ahead of you. And I just don't know about all of you. I'd be like, okay, oh, you know, you're the sort of authority on things as when I was first year and they were a second year. Let's see. Yeah. So from New College, I went to Chicago to doctoral work in sociology, pivoted to tech. So at New College, I actually did, I did stuff with the dark room and stuff with videography work, but I was always interested in coding and like programming. And so I did more of that. 
even with stats in grad school. But anyway, started a company called Scholastica, which does software for academic journal publishing. So I work in a field that's sort of higher ed adjacent. For example, the Chronicle of Higher Ed is something I, even before all this, was reading routinely because it's yeah. related to my work. Yeah, so that's sort of my day-to-day. We're based here in Chicago is where I am. And then I have a five-year-old who started kindergarten two weeks ago, which has been a whirlwind. I have a four-year-old who starts kindergarten next week. And I have a two-year-old, almost three. And then trying to, you know, with all of that, also trying to be a supporter of New College. I mean, I had a very empowering experience, and that's what I hope to continue to support with what's going on at New College is I think the narrative evaluation system. Mm-hmm. Unique education. There's just a huge, and it's really being a small campus is what you said, I think, early in life is it's a small campus. So you can know everyone, but it also means there's lots of opportunities. You know, it's easy to get people together or to do something to throw an event on campus in a way that in a bigger university or a bigger city, I think about it as there's a lot more, it's a lot more challenging. There's a lot more people, a lot more bureaucracy. And so, like, I, I hope that, you know, the tutorial system, which encourages, sort of self-initiative, right, to design a class. I had that with a lot of things outside of it. But I think right now, you know, there's a lot of people who really want to continue that. And there's a lot of needs on campus. And so I think, you know, I've been really excited to also say to meet so many alums who, one, we've all met, (laughs) you know, I don't know we would have otherwise. And also people who are really trying so hard to look for ways to help people get the education they want, to be the experience that they want. And I think that's really beautiful. One other random thing I want to know, because this has come up talking, I've met current students and worked with some recent alums. We worked on the new commencement event, which was yes. beautiful. I just know one of the most beautiful things. Gwen knows I'm a crier, but I don't think I've cried that much in a short period in a very long time. Like at that event, I was just seeing the joy of this idea of what, the experience people wanted and that they had feared they wouldn't have and they were able to get. It was really beautiful. But I, I say this is that through that experience, meeting some recent alums, but meeting some current students, I don't know, I'm just so heartened. But also this was just a memory because this keeps coming up. One of the things I was especially proud of when I was there was I used student government money to purchase the first Wi-Fi access point on campus. Nice. And also spent like months trying to explain to people what Wi-Fi was because yeah. You know, it's like, well, where's the internet? Where's the cord? But well, hopefully, hopefully the password has changed since then, but we'll see. Yeah, it was, it, but I feel people a bit tickled about that because I have people asking me about like different things. And it was like, no, students came to campus without computers sometimes because right. it was like, oh, there's the Mac lab and you'll figure it out. You just need yeah. a, what else do you need a computer for? And I find that a funny, and it was a short period, a short generational switch. It was like 2000, 2004, just the, the expectations around technology switched so rapidly. Mm-hmm look back on and sort of smile about it's wild how much things change things you take for granted even in the chronology too like i don't know if i would have necessarily remembered the technical milestones as clearly as y'all did who were experiencing them you know like it's very different to go to new college in 2001 versus 2008 you know in terms of how are you interacting with social media how are you learning about the world around you what's your social identity and how is it tied to this stuff there's some interesting episodes we're going to get into once we're able to dig into some of that stuff brian as we're wrapping up i know you've also been connected to some new activity new movements you know you're still playing with your head up and you're someone who understands how the machinery of institutions work so you're a real asset to those of us trying to defend new college 
Any thoughts for our listeners, any calls to action, any suggestions you might have based on your experience? Yeah. So one, there are different groups trying to continue to support new college. And I think that that's important. When I say support new college, there's a lot of different needs right now. And so one I'm involved in is the Novo Collegian Alliance. They have some different initiatives. They're doing some archiving preservation projects. As issues have come up with student housing, we're trying to help with that. And so if you check out novocollegian.org, there are some different calls to action there that are really trying to be responsive to what students and faculty need. I think in a time of such rapid change, it's important to have our sort of finger on the pulse. That's one thing I want to just also thank all the alums for. There's so many amazing active people who surface information and want to make sure people are getting what they need for why, why they came to New College. I just want to say it's, it with all the struggle, that it really is one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen in my life is this mm-hmm. community. And this is the group who brought together the alternate graduation event. And we supported some different students reading that together. Maddie Markham, Casey Casey were the lead on that. And so we sort of wanted to just help their idea happen. Yeah. But I just want to say, that, I mean, I'm just Nova Collegian Alliance or NCF Freedom, but just the entire alum community, the number of people who I know, and we're all busy, you know, even this, you have kids and people have jobs and people have challenges and life events and health events. And to see so many alums looking around to say, how can I help? I had a positive experience at New College. How can I help other people have that? I think that's really beautiful. And I am appreciative that, you know, we say like meeting people, but being able to see this, it's something that really does give me hope. I think there's, it's very easy to feel negatively about apathy, mm-hmm. right? Or sort of assume apathy. And I mm-hmm. have one empirical experience these last seven months of saying, there are a lot of non-apathetic people who have very busy lives. And I, so it's maybe just, saying thank you for i've been able to work with so many people on projects and i appreciate everyone showing up and there's some amazing students there's some amazing first years showing up who are really trying to get an amazing education and i think it's important we keep that in mind that's great stuff i'm not a crier but you did pull up the heartstrings there a little bit i gotta say i held it together (laughs) gwen concluding thoughts as we're wrapping up here thank you for coming back and thank you for bringing Brian to, to the show. Also, open invite if folks have ideas who, who would be a great guest who wants to come on or wants to come back on. Hopefully, it'll be pretty open and that same sort of inclusive collegial vibe is something we'll keep rolling. But thank you again for coming back and thank you for bringing Brian to the show. But any any concluding thoughts? Well, Brian and I have spoken recently about what a great guest Mike Michelson would be. So I'm just going to say, hey, Mike, this is <laughs> your invitation. And we are not an apathetic bunch. I'm remembering there was a massive barbaric yawp at the Bayfront after the election Brian was talking about. We had stayed up, you know, into the night to watch the returns in B-Dorm. And then everybody went down to the Bayfront and just let it all out. So that's yeah. also maybe a reminder to the current students that the Bayfront is there for yawping and may it ever be. I was so excited to have you reach out about doing this. Any chance to get to talk to you? And I also wanted to say to Megan and Mike, I, I started listening to the podcast recently and it is so awesome to hear people's voices and stories. I've talked to Grant before, but suddenly you hear about your history. And like, Megan, I've heard about stuff you're working on and suddenly to hear your story Again, this is really an amazing thing you're doing, like getting to know a community that you feel part of, but you don't know the people per se, and to actually hear in their own words, their experience. It's it's, it's really cool. And thank you for letting me come on. Awesome. Wow, Megan, that's pretty good. How about your parting shots here? Any concluding remarks? 
I really agree with what you said about just the incredible creative burst that has come from our community. I'm so surprised by it because our you know, our alumni group through the years has always been a little bit contentious and weird. and <laughs> We didn't get to work on anything collectively together. And when this happened, it really caused just this incredible explosion of energy in one direction. And I find it incredibly heartening. And, and I don't think that they can take that away from us. And no matter what happens, I think we're all going to do something good together. Thanks, Megan. Thanks, Gwen. Thank you, Brian. Thank you to our listeners. Keep on listening. Pomport Podcast, PomportPod.com, available anywhere you listen to pods. Thank you for listening. Oh.